Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is the founder of an audiobook production company that's been in business for about 10 years, Elgin Productions Incorporated. John McElroy, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad that I, uh, I found you through, uh, through the, the APAC online speed dating thing. I, I ended up going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there because they said, well, if you're going to register for this, you have to go over here to Ergo. Is that correct, correct pronunciation there, Ergo? Ergo is just fine. Ergo. Ergo.us. All right. So, uh, so they said you have to go over to Ergo. And I thought, what is this? I, I, I'm not familiar with this. So looked at it, saw a bunch of narrators there. So I dig, dug a little deeper and I found you were in charge and dug a little deeper and I found out about Elgin. And so, uh, so it was a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm glad I went down that one. Well, it's, it's not a, a rabbit hole, Rich. It's, uh, you know, this is the journey to Self-fulfillment. <laughs> I'll look at it that way. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really glad that we had a chance to uh, to connect and that you were able to make it into the speakeasy tonight. So uh, since we're in a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight, John? Well, how about uh, this incredibly cold can of Koenig Pilsner? Craig? It's a crisp. It's a, it's a crisp German beer. Picked it up at the Chico's Market over here. Uh, four pack for five ninety nine. Can't beat it. Nice, yeah. So, what's the name? Craig, just like the first. Kernig. Name? Kernig. Oh, the, Kernig. The, okay. Uh, the the German word for king. King. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. I haven't heard of that one. I, I, most people know I'm not much of a beer drinker these days, but um, I did used to like the the lighter beers and uh, wheat beers. I always really liked a good Hefeweizen. Yeah. Well, we're, this is uh, this isn't quite that, but it is uh, definitely German. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. Well, I uh, not surprisingly, I'm not having a beer today. I'm actually having a, a drink that's new to me. It's uh, a Barracuda, which uh, I'd never heard of. And then uh, I looked it up and found out it actually has been around for a while, and it's an actual IBA official cocktail. So I thought, well, what the hell? I gotta gotta try that. Um, but I had some. Is it is it is it gnawing your leg off? <laughs> it is not. I assume that if Good. I had three or four, it might. But uh, but no, it's not. Uh, my wife asked me if I was going to play the uh, the heart song in the background. And I thought, nah, I think there'd be licensing issues there. But uh, <laughs> in any case, it's a it's a rum drink. I was thinking, yeah, I'm kind of in the mood for a rum drink today. And so it's a rum and pineapple juice and a little bit of uh, lime juice and some Galliano, which I actually also have on hand. And you top it all off with a little sparkling wine. Officially calls for Prosecco. Didn't have any in the house. I'm just using good old sparkling wine. But uh, it's it's quite tasty. It's pretty different. I think the Galliano really gives it a um, kind of an unexpected uh, flavor burst. Well, you have so outdone me. I, I've I've come to the uh, the gunfight with a, a miserable beer, in no. hand, and, and you've got this beautiful cocktail. No, no, no. The all drinks are welcome in the speakeasy. I've had lots of people having non-alcoholic drinks, uh, usually because they have to get back to work, but uh, lots of, lots of other reasons too, and that's fine. 
All drinks are welcome here from beer to wine. Had quite a bit of wine in here, uh, cocktails, plenty of non-alcoholic. So everything is welcome. So uh, you enjoy your... And it's, it's, not even, it's not even after 9 o'clock in the morning, so uh, you're just getting started. <laughs> it is. It is afternoon here, so <laughs> I'm, I'm good to go. In any case, uh, enjoy your Pilsner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out this Barracuda, see if I can make it to the bottom without getting eaten alive. So thanks for coming in, John. Cheers. Dumbass. All right. So, uh, so John, I know you're you're out on the East Coast at this point. Uh, where where exactly are you at, and where'd you uh, where'd you end up? Where'd you start out from to end up there? Um, well, that's a that's a kind of a, a, a pathetic answer to that question. <laughs> I started out about uh, I think it's probably less than twenty miles away. I started out on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in a place called Stuyvesant Town, um, and uh, I'm I'm now living in Larchmont uh, with my family. Um, which is in Westchester County, all of it, as I said, about 20 miles away. Yeah, I so think, I have I not. That's bad at all. You you staying close to the roots. Yeah, well, I mean, th- those are that's the that's the McElroy way. We have uh, we have uh, stayed. This is, I think, the the fourth generation of McElroys in this uh, in this part of the world. Wow, so, no kidding. Uh, that's good. Maybe my maybe my uh, my my children will be a little more adventurous. So I assume you got a lot of family out in that area then. I do. I do. Um, oh, that's good. Makes it easy know. to visit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, any occasion that we go to is got about 50 or 60 people at it. Wow. And that's, uh, that's with a kind of a half attendance. So <laughs> I said, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's always a lot of Irish Catholics in one place. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so have you always been in that area? Did you go, go away for school or any other reason? No, um, actually, I, I initially went away uh, to Poughkeepsie uh, and then came back and uh, worked in construction for a while and went back to school where my father was a teacher at St. Peter's College in New Jersey. And after that, I went to Columbia and after that, I went to uh, Rutgers. So um, I have always been pulled back. Every time I try to get out, they keep pulling me back in. So, uh, <laughs> what'd you do at uh, Columbia and Rutgers? Uh, I did my uh, first my master's degree in English literature, and then I went into uh, publishing at Viking Penguin, and uh, which was in the midst of turning into Penguin USA at the time, and then uh, went back for my PhD at Rutgers in English literature. That's great. So you you've been around words for uh, for a long time. I've been speaking them, I've been writing them, and uh, I can I can even read them too. <laughs> That's great, uh, Penguin. Yeah, I've heard of them. Kind of a big deal. It uh, yeah, I mean when when I started there, uh, it was simply the um, the hardcover and the paperback imprint prints of uh, Viking and Penguin over on West Twenty Third Street. That was the year that uh, Rushman uh, Salman Rushdie's uh, satanic verses came out Ooh, and yeah. we, every, uh, every day we were greeted to bomb sniffing dogs walking through the, uh, the offices and sniffing around cubicles. Yeah. That was uh, a scary, just, scary time in publishing. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, we, we moved rather quickly into the, uh, Hudson street offices where, uh, Viking Penguin met up with New American Library and Dutton and uh, a little later on Putnam. And it was and became, you know, Penguin USA, which today is uh, 
wed with Random House. Yeah. So they're, they've getting, got, getting, I think they must have like three or four hundred different imprints. It's like every time I try to dig in, it's like imprint upon imprint, and uh, it's hard to keep track. They were enormously uh, consolidated uh, companies. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you got into publishing, and then uh, at some point from there, you got into uh, audio production. How'd that happen? Well, uh, actually, uh, after I'd gotten back from my uh, PhD and teaching out at Rutgers, um, I got a phone call from a, a buddy of mine who uh, called to tell me that he'd become the head of something called Penguin Audiobooks. And uh, I said, Audiobooks? You mean like spoken word albums and he said yeah except on cassette and we call them audiobooks now this would be like 1993 mm-hmm. and uh he said look I, I need help in abridging audiobooks because in those days um almost all the books that were done by the um the new york uh trade publishers almost all of them were abridged so that's how I started. I started as an abridger. Uh, and probably uh, by the year 2000 or so, I had abridged something like 600 audiobooks. Wow. I, I always find that interesting because you see on all the, the current listings, unabridged, unabridged, unabridged. And, and you see that everywhere. And so I knew that that was from, you know, way back in the day when I think abridging used to be far more common. Um, what What's your take on when that shift happened? Um, well, first of all, I think it's kind of important to, to see um, how the audiobook industry worked. There, there was a, an unabridged industry that worked almost exclusively out of the direct mail and subscription so that you would be a, uh, it was a rental market. So books on tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded books. They were um, they were licensing from the major companies unabridged audiobook rights, which you know, the publishers I think were very happy to to sell because they were not going to be making 15, 20 hour audiobooks themselves. So they were happy to get a little cash flow from the selling of the unabridged rights. The abridged audiobooks really began, uh, I believe as a promotional maneuver so that the publisher could say to the author, hey, not only are we going to publish your book as a hard cover, as a soft cover, we're also going to do an audiobook. And that became uh, uh, a way of recommending the publishing company to the agent and the author. It also became a way of signaling within the company that the company was behind a particular book so that um, this would generate real interest among the sales forces. Wow, they're going to do an audiobook for this one. We're going to sell this into our accounts really heavily. And it was, you know, uh, probably more importantly, a signal for the buyers at the major uh, chains in particular that, oh, Penguin is really behind this book. They're doing an audiobook. So, you know, rather than taking, you know, X number of books, we'll take X plus Y percent. So it was a promotional scheme 
that you know slowly but surely uh, matured into something utterly different. Um, yeah, I, I no would, doubt. I would say that probably it's you know it's it's hazy now, but I would say around the the turn of the millennium, um, the publishers went from a a, a, a more promotional or at least a supplemental revenue model mm-hmm. to a full-on to a you know, imprints that could actually sustain themselves with the revenue that they were producing, and they moved farther and farther away from um, the the abridged market, which, quite frankly, from what I understand, um, consumers were not nuts about. It's like, well, wait a minute, we can get we can get these unabridged books over here. I'm a reader. I want to. I don't want to have something cut apart. I want the whole book. Yeah, I, I know um, that for myself, that's the way that I would feel about it. If I found out, if I, you know, wasn't aware going in that I was buying an abridged version, and then I found out that there were pieces of the story missing, however tangential somebody else might find them, I'd be like, well, so I didn't get the whole thing. I, I wouldn't be happy about that. Let me ask you, though, so how, how did you go about doing that? I assume you have to read the whole book, and then how do you figure out what to take out? Well, I mean, essentially, you know, the way that I learned to do it um, and you kind of feel your way through it, is uh, you read very quickly from to beginning to end. So you get the whole narrative arc of the book. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's, you know, whether the book is fiction or biography or, you know, even self-help. You need to know where the book starts, where it goes to. Mm-hmm. And um, you then really have to Figure out, well, what is necessary to get me from here to there? Um, and that is when you start working through, huh, well, this subplot, it's fun, but it's not going to get me from point A to point Z, so we've got to get rid of that. Um, uh, it, sounds like it's, it sounds like it's much more of an art than a science. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, can, I can say that the more of it that you do, the better that you get. And, um, you know, I I also worked with any number of pretty well-known authors uh, who were understandably skeptical about what it was that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, on those occasions, what what we tried to do would be to, um, I, I would say, look, I'm going to write bridges that connect this part of the book to that part of the book. I'm going to try to do that in a way that the bridge doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. And, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll draw attention to it in the script. And you can rework it or not. Um, and, you know, see how that works. That, that way we got away from the, um, you know, just cutting the, the book to shreds mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with small cuts, death by small cuts. Um, and I, I think that we just got a much better feeling uh, from the author, you know, working that way. Sure. Yeah, I, I could see that. But, uh, you know, it's certainly I'm sure it's something that is done very rarely at this point. I, I, I imagine that it is still done for various reasons, but probably not very much. So um, so you I were... haven't. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say I, I, uh, 
there's one author, Ram Chernow, who, uh, whose books I've, I've done, um, and he and I have worked uh, pretty closely on, on these things in the past. And uh, I, the last one I did was his uh, biography of Grant. But that, I think, literally um, is the only abridgment I've done um, where I had them you know, five years and would be within five, six years. Yeah. It's just something that's, that's almost, well, certainly from, from, from my business, it's almost completely disappeared. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, well, so you went from abridging to uh, starting a production company about ten years ago. What happened in the no, meantime? No, 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 no. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know there was stuff in between. So what happened in between that? Well, well, a couple of years into uh, doing the, uh, the abridgments, I sat down with uh, a friend of mine, a pretty well-known uh, producer, Paul Rubin, and uh, here I was, a young man, and uh, Paul was a much younger man in those days. He was almost young. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, you do all these abridging. He said, man, that is, that's the really hard part of this game. And it was, it, uh, unfortunately, what he was signaling to me was, you know something, John? You can actually do the production side of this business. So I pulled together in about 1994 uh, a group of my friends who were working in the recording industry uh, as musicians and engineers and uh, created Gas House Production Company. The Gas House, by the way, um, is the uh, now non-existent district upon which Stuyvesant Town, my, uh, my early childhood stomping grounds, uh, it was built. Ah. So, uh, so it was a kind of a nod to my New York past. Sure, yeah, uh, that's so, always cool. So the Gas House Production Company... Uh, and a couple of years into that, um, I got to record Charles Kuralt, the famous television journalist, mm -hmm. reading all of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and um, Charles uh, passed away that year. And um, I got to go to the last Grammy Awards in New York City to... Um, to win a Grammy Award uh, for uh, for the production of that audio book. That's and, fantastic. Uh, to, to pick it up for for Charles, pick up the uh, the award for Charles. So it was a uh, a very very exciting moment. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and and so at that point, you started the um, what was the name? The Gas House Production Company. You got it. So when you were doing that, was that strictly audiobooks, or were you doing other audio production as well, music or anything else? Strictly, strictly audiobooks. But, but in those days, actually, uh, a lot of uh, what we had to do, there was a lot more music involved. And um, we weren't using entirely uh, library music at that point. So I actually had to uh, commission a lot of composition. Wow. For, so... Uh, you know, a, 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 a fair amount of what we did, and this this isn't a day when you know I, I was I, I was having a, a very busy year. If I did uh, thirty five or forty audiobooks, um, you know, this is a time when you could actually you know you, you spent a, a, a pretty fair amount of time doing mixes on audiobooks. You would be you know, doing you know. You know, in exciting scenes, you would have some uh, 
embedded music. Um, there, was a, there was a lot more of that involved in the um, in the abridged audio thing there than there is now. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that things have uh, shifted a lot over time because I know that now, although uh, there are, I have heard quite a few audiobooks where there is music at the beginning, the, the very beginning and the very end of a chapter, only about 10 seconds or so, and then there's nothing in between. And in fact, in the, the narrator groups that I belong to, it's, it's almost always recommended to people who are just starting out, don't even think about adding music or sound effects. Um, so it, it sounds like things have changed a lot, but I know that there are now a lot more multicast productions, which are a lot more like radio drama. Um, are you seeing that as well? Are you seeing things kind of shift back to where there is more stuff added? Um, well, um, there's, I mean, these are, there's a, there's a lot of stuff you, you're asking there. I mean, in terms of just straight audio books, um, well, simply because you have much longer audiobooks and you're doing a lot more of them. And as you know, um, if you're just doing a, a minute mix up front and a minute and a half mix at the back, it's a nice gesture. It really is a nice way to package the book, and, and, and some publishers continue to do that. But the question is, you know, is if you don't do that, is that something that the uh, the audience misses, mm -hmm. and um, I I couldn't answer it one way or the other because I don't have any data that suggests whether it's a good idea or bad. Yeah. Um, and and in fact, you know, it's it's what you want to make of it. It's a I think no one would argue that it's a um, it's a bad idea um, if the, the if the music is selected well. Um, but you know, the question is whether it makes the audiobook or not, that's another question. Yeah. Now, full cast audios, um, there, are, there are many more multi-narrator recordings than there are full cast recordings. That is to say, uh, you know, uh, let's just take a romance, because there are a lot of back and forth romances that you have. Each um, each chapter in an, uh, in a romance novel alternates between a male and female narrator, mm -hmm. but the male narrator will record all of his work in one place uh, sequentially, and the female narrator will record all of her chapters in one place sequentially. Right. So the post in post production, those things are edited and cut together in the appropriate sequence. Now, that's not a multicast production. That's a multi-narrator reading. Right, right. A multicast production where you've got lots of mics live in a room and you're doing the audio book in that way, that's a completely different way of doing things. And those are uh, more common, but still relatively rare. Right. Uh, and they're becoming much more common, and I suspect they'll become more common still. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how things play out in the next five or ten years and see what changes happen in terms of production. Because um, I agree, from what I've seen in, in you know, the little tiny slice that I see is that uh, multicast are becoming more common. But like you say, they're still rare. And I've also seen, it just seems to me that um, adding sound effects and various different uh, noises are... Um, uh, and music 
uh, is also becoming a little more common. And so I'm, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. So it seems like you've seen a lot of um, different ways of, of approaching the craft. Uh, so that so that was gas. Well, I mean, I, one, one one of the things I, I, would, I would also just add is that um, when I was a kid, um, early seventies, the, the there was a kind of an FM revolution in um, kind of trying to resurrect the you know what what, what had kind of fallen fallen by the wayside uh, in the fifties, which was the uh, radio drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, which the English kept on just doing it, and today they still do it. Uh, they do it wonderfully, too. But in America, less so. Um, but there was, a, there was a, a resurgence in the early 70s, and I would listen to it. And there was, a, there was one show in particular called The Zero Hour, uh, which was produced out of Los Angeles. And uh, Rod Serling was actually the announcer for it. Oh, wow. Um, and it was... It was a terrifically done um, radio drama, and so so if that were to, to reemerge, that kind of um, audio drama, uh, really well crafted, well acted, well uh, directed, uh, if those were to reemerge, and I think they are going to reemerge, that would be uh, that would be something else. But that isn't necessarily audio books. That's that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother thing. Different audio book. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I, you know, audio book um, companies are very well poised. It would seem to me to do that kind of work, but it's not necessarily um, audio books. I think that um, podcasts are um, just generating so much enthusiasm for spoken word content that they're driving, um, they're really driving a demand for more of it. Yeah, and, um, I, I could see I that, that, and I'm, I'm happy to see it because, um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the Zero Hour, but I remember in the 70s, we had a, a motorhome and we went on a few vacations, and on one of those vacations, I always had my transistor radio with me, and on one of those vacations, I remember stumbling upon the CBS Radio Mystery Hour hosted by oh, that's great. hosted by E.G. Marshall, if I remember correctly, ah. and uh, and I loved it. I just I got so entranced by that. So I'm like, when is this on? I got to find this. And so I listened to that for a long time. I think that they resurrected that for I don't know two or three or four years or something like that. Um, and so I'm I'm excited to see what happens in the podcast world because I know that a lot of those types of dramas are are happening out there now. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, well, it would be interesting. It would be also interesting because my, my understanding is that um, Audible had and has a lot of um, old radio dramas in their catalog. And I think in the past, they're just very, very difficult to move mm-hmm. uh, simply because people didn't, well, there are any number of reasons. I mean, you know, if you've got a, a credit in which you can buy a you know 15 hours of audio content and the audio drama only yields about two hours it's a you know it's an it's an economic decision right i want more for the same amount right but the other thing is that you know the audio dramas before the podcast were just seen as something utterly different Mm -hmm. and um as you know under the rubric of 
of audio content and podcasts and, and all of you know the, the, the more generic understanding of audio, it might be possible to see a, a resurrection of this, yeah. of this form. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I know that the uh, the podcast space is heating up just like audiobooks have been. So so that was Gas House, and then uh, when did Elgin come to be? Uh, well, Elgin uh, came to be about uh, 10 years ago. There was an, there was an intermediate company, um, John McElroy Production and Talent Services, LLC, and I kept uh, uh, Gas House alive parallel to that, just doing different businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I fused uh, a paymaster business in and the uh, the production business into the single entity with Elgin. Ah, got it. So so Elgin... Yeah, I've got to give you the boring uh, you know, corporate entity. Yeah, uh, no, I, actually that's really interesting. So, so Elgin, even though it started 10 years ago, the fact is that it's basically an extension of what you've been doing all along. Absolutely. It's just, you know, uh, it's the same thing, uh, just with a different corporate entity. That's all. Got it. All right. Well, that's cool. And so Elgin is also just audiobooks exclusively. That's it. Yep. All right. Uh, so you actually got a mention recently. I was having a chat with, uh, Julia Whalen here in the, uh, in the speakeasy and she was mentioning one of the great, one of the great readers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she was mentioning that, uh, Gone Girl, which was done, she said, uh, she said, uh, she mentioned it very briefly. She said, well, then of course, McElroy, um, Elgin did the production. And I thought, uh, wow, that's great. That's a little mention of somebody who I know is going to be coming in here shortly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. But I, um, I regret to say that my friend Julia is probably wrong. I did not do Gondra. Oh, so Although I, would, I actually, I would, I would love to. I, I might have that wrong then. I'm, she may have been she may have been speaking about a different book. I know that she mentioned Gone Girl, so I may have that wrong, or she may be misremembering who did production on what. Either way, um, clearly, either, she, way, I, I was, either way, she's clearly mentioned. aware of you. <laughs> yes, she, she she should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She's actually she's had wonderful success. Um, uh, gave a fantastic speech at the the audience last time around, mm-hmm. and I also listened to her um, as one of the voices reading New Yorker articles for Autumn, oh. which is another new, uh, are you aware of Autumn? Uh, no. A-U-D-M? No, but, oh, yes, uh, I was thinking the season, but yes, I actually have looked into Autumn. <laughs> um, yes. And, and yes. I know that there are a few services that do newspaper article stuff. Well, she does a, she does a lot for the New Yorker, and, uh, or, or at least she, she has in the past, and she's a, you know, a, a, a voice that, uh, I'm always happy to hear. Yeah. Great yeah. intelligence, a wonderful delivery. No doubt. So so I know that in addition to her, you've worked with a lot of a lot of top shelf talent um, at Elgin. So um, so tell well, me. Well we've done we've probably done something in the you know the order of the twenty five hundred, three thousand audiobooks. So that's you know, I've I've worked with a lot of people. Yeah, a little bit more than uh, 35 or 40 a year uh, when you first started, Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it accumulates. It's like, a, you know, it's a snowball going downhill. Yeah. So I just hope it doesn't hit a tree. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, so what types of audiobooks do you do? All types? Uh, do you have a niche? Do you focus on fiction or nonfiction? Any particular genres? My, 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 whatever it is that my clients are, are producing. I mean, we, uh, we we take it all on. 
Okay. Um, and I, and when you talk about your clients, um, I know that we spoke about this briefly previously. Um, typically, your clients are the big publishing houses, uh, audiobook publishers, and the like. Do you do any work with individual narrators, individual producers who are saying, well, I'm going to narrate this, and I need somebody to edit it and master it? Uh, do you do anything like that? Um, I'll be honest with you, Rich. I, I do very little of that. Um, it's a business that we would like to figure out um, how to do it, but um, it, it's not an easy business for a company like ours to do. We, uh, we work with other businesses, and we can develop over time um, workflows that mm-hmm. allow us to move very efficiently and predictably through, um, you know, through the, uh, the production process. It's much more difficult to do that with individual um, players, yeah. people who are less experienced in, uh, uh, in, in doing this kind of work. And uh, we, ha- we have to kind of shape expectations. We have to, um, it, it's, a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of um, hands-on work that, that takes a lot of time and actually makes it very difficult to price. Yeah, no, so, I, I understand. Um, so, so typically your customers are more like a Penguin or Brilliance or somebody like that who comes to you and they've worked with you before, they know exactly how you do things, you know exactly what they want, and boom, 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 you're done. Yes, that's, you know, something, something like that. I mean, yeah. boom, boom, boom sounds a little... A well, little fast, right? Yeah, not, not like it happens we, in a day or two. But. Yeah, yeah. But just, there is, there, there are definitely, we, we know how to hit our marks. They know what marks they want us to hit. Mm-hmm. And, and with, you know, we, we, we have a very well balanced uh, understanding in terms of expectation and mm-hmm. delivery. So, so what are those expectations? So walk me through a typical production from a client coming to you and telling you what they need. Well, I mean, every, uh, there, there are certain kinds of differences. Uh, in most, ca- uh, most occasions these days, the publisher has cast the book. They've given me a sense of how long it is. They uh, have given me a... Uh, I, I am often, because we are going to be dealing with the narrator, either in a studio or in a home studio, uh, I am the person who is making an offer to the, uh, to the, uh, the talent, and we make sure my people are working with the publisher to get the correct script, to get the correct credits. Um, we know what the publisher uh, wants delivered in terms of specifications, both in you know uh, labeling, formatting, and the dynamic, uh, the, the, the the more technical specifications of the audio. Mm-hmm. Um, we would either record the piece in in, in a studio with uh, with an engineer, or we would. Have the uh, the the home narrator deliver us, um, you know, through some kind of uh, file syncing mechanism or uh, cloud delivery platform. It would just send us the files. We actually, you know, we uh, pass them through our proofing 
we assemble um, a corrections pack, deliver it to the uh, back to the uh, either the studio or the narrator. They deliver us uh, the, the pickups. We cut them in. We master it. We format it. Uh, and we deliver it back to the publisher, who then puts it through a uh, quality control process. So, so it's when you're um, so you work with both uh, people in studio and home studios. For the in studio work, is that uh, a facility that you have, or do you rent studio time out from local studios in New York, or what do you do there? I rent I rent uh, places all over the country, depending on you know where the talent is. Oh, I see. So it's not just local. It's that you could have somebody working remotely, but they're working in a, uh, a studio. And in those situations, do you have somebody on your end who's doing directing real time? Um, either I would handle that or one of the people who works for me would handle that. Okay. And what about home studios? Do you ever do directing phone patch or Skype or anything like that while somebody's actually there? All, all, of, all of that stuff these days, as you know, as well as I do, it's totally possible. Um, the, um, there are uh, remote, there's, there's remote engineering, there's you know, Skype direction. I mean, all of that stuff is you know, eminently possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we make use of what we need to make use of the uh, the, the possibilities with technology are getting you know, broader and broader with each day. Yeah, which is great. I know that um, you know most narrators that you talk to who the first time they go into a directed session, they'll come out of it saying, "Oh my God, that was so much better." I'm I'm just more curious about what typically happens. Uh, so how often you actually just say, deliver me files, and how often there's somebody involved as a director real-time? Well, I mean, uh, the direction would be a, uh, a better-known talent. Uh, it would be an author. Um, otherwise, most, most, I mean, this, is, this is true of, of most of the industry, that you, know, you have folks who are working alone, and delivering files, mm-hmm. yeah. and sometimes we find our, ourselves in the position of having to do, you know, retro direction. Um, but uh, you know, any time that a um, in audiobooks, direction is best handled, in my view, from uh, at the top. You have a discussion with the uh, the the narrator get on the same page, narrator delivers a sample, you uh, kind of walk through the performance, and then they get going. Kind of fine-tune things at the front end, and uh, hopefully you won't have to fine-tune anything later. Well, I wouldn't say fine-tune things at the front end, but establish guardrails, something that makes the... the uh... <laughs> guardrails, that's great. Well, I mean, what you, what, what you want us to give, you know, guardrails make us all feel safe. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. No, um, I think it's a great, we, great term. Yeah. When you, when you put them down um, in collaboration with the talent, you get something that's, um, yeah, you get a sense of satisfaction on both sides. Sure. That, yeah. uh, you know, you get a sense that you've, you've been able to uh, impart something to the person that, that gives them confidence to move forward. 
and uh, the other person feels a sense of cheese. Yeah, yeah. I no. can move forward. No, that's that's great. Was was that a cat in there by any chance? I, I heard something uh, kind of squawk. That was somebody opening up the closet, ah. and uh, and the closet the closet squawked. All right. Let's let's, let's reproduce <laughs> it. Can I reproduce it? Yeah, that, that was it. it is. <laughs> I'm, yeah. No, hearing that sound, I'm glad it wasn't a cat. <laughs> so. Yeah, because if that was a cat, that's, that was definitely a cat being cruelly treated. Exactly. No, well, well, that's great. So it sounds like Elgin is doing great. What's your uh, What's your long term? Uh, her, um, what, what do you see on the horizon for Elgin in terms of continuing the work you're doing, expanding, changing? What do you think is going to happen in the next five or ten years? You know, Rich, I think you've said it all there. Expanding, <laughs> changing. There you go. Everything falls under those umbrellas, right? Got it. <laughs> yeah, the, that's what they always say about business, whatever the business is, change or die. <laughs> you, you, you've got it. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's great. So you plan on uh, continuing with Elgin for the foreseeable future. I, I do indeed, sir. Yeah. That's, I, you know, that's I, I actually love working with the, uh, my clients, um, you know, the, 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 the staff and uh, you know, people I, I get to, uh, to work with in the industry just they're wonderful people, and I feel a uh, you know a sense of what would I uh, what 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 the hell else am I going to do? <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's just they're always entertaining and uh, great people to work with. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I have certainly found that in my experience as well. I've had. Um, Few, if any, actually nothing comes to mind right now of uh, bad experiences in the audiobook. Oh, industry. come on, Rich. You're just not thinking far enough. Come on. Uh, I, I might not be. It might be one of those situations where, oh, yeah, there was that one book where, but but really, the, I'm only thinking of one where an author kind of pushed back on something, and it was it was a really small thing. And so I just said, okay, that's fine. I'll change it. Um, and so even that experience, which was, you know, you could kind of put it into the less than ideal category, really was not bad at all. And I'm I'm just I'm not coming up with other things where I, I had well, bad experiences. I think your your experience is actually you know it's exemplary of you know what most of us feel in the industry. That's why we stayed with it so long. Yeah, and that's it's... why a lot of people want then because it's actually a a pretty great place to thrive. Yeah, it's uh, it is it is not an unpleasant world to uh, to function. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, so you're clearly busy with Elgin. What do you do in your spare time, John? Oh gosh! Do you have um, any spare time? You know, um, well, uh, I have a, a wife of twenty six years, and I have three kids, two of which moved out of the uh, the house this summer. Oh wow! Uh, quieter house now. It is a quieter house. Uh, <laughs> Elsa, Elsa is a uh, still in high school, so yeah, we're uh, we're still we're still in it. We're still in it. Yeah. It's uh, you know lots of lots of stuff to to do. I'm uh, I, I love the outdoors, love to ski, love sailing, and uh, you know we have thank God we have lots of friends. So it's it's a a busy life. Plus, you've got family gatherings with sixty or more people. Good God! Well, that's a, <laughs> no. It's a, which it's a, and they're 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 fun people to be around, yeah. and I don't see enough of them, frankly. 
Well, that, it, it's good that you're close. I, I like hearing that from people. It's uh, it's tough. We we moved out here a while back, and we're not really close to really any family at this point. So everybody has to travel, and we still do, and that's fine. But uh, it's always nice when you're close. Um, so so John, you've been in this business for you know Elgin's maybe has only been around for ten or ten years or so, but you've been in this business for a good twenty five plus years. Um, what what words of wisdom would you have for uh, aspiring narrators out there? Well, I, I would first ask them to go to thrugo.us uh, and uh, sign up there. Um, we, we haven't actually talked about that. No, we haven't. Um, so, so let's go into Ergo, but, yeah, because that was actually where I became but, aware of you. Uh, and yeah, tell, tell me more about that. So uh, I, I signed up for the APAC speed dating event, and they directed anybody who wanted to sign up. for it's, a, it's the first time that they're doing an online speed dating. And I'm sure that it was a matter of them figuring out um, how is it, how, how can we do this most efficiently? There are going to be 11 billion people signing up for this. We don't want to get 11 billion MP3s in some email box at APA, or at the uh, APA. So how can we do this efficiently? I, I assume this was their thinking. And so they, they have this platform, Ergo, where you go and you sign up and you create a profile and you upload clips. And I'm sure that for them, if you're on that platform and you sign up, now all of a sudden, boom, everything that they need is in one place for anybody who's interested. So well, I had never you've heard got it. You, you've got it. I mean, you, you, you've got most of it perfectly right, except it's not their platform. It's it's my platform. No, I understand. I'm but, just saying that uh, from, from their point of view, they have a yes. platform that they can use. And and so I had never heard of it before signing up. And so that was when I went down that rabbit hole and, and thought, uh, what is this exactly? I've never heard of this. And uh, and so tell me about it. How did, how did that come to be? What was the uh, what was the genesis of Ergo? And that is E-R-G-G-O e dot U-S, correct? That is correct. Okay. Thank you for, uh, for getting that out there. Two Gs, yeah. Um, Two G's, two G's. Well, I mean, the 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 origins of it were really in the uh, the huge, what I would call a, a tsunami of audiobook production back in uh, 2012, 2013, when I, uh, you know, we were we were doing, you know, quite literally hundreds of audiobooks um, in the course of you know six months, seven months, mm -hmm. and uh, we were. You know, uh, we were just trying to figure out business on the fly. How are we going to do this? And we were uh, adapting as quickly as we could. We were adopting as many uh, helpful applications as we could possibly um, do. And uh, it just dawned on me, damn, if only we had some kind of production management tool some way of pulling together all of these, uh, these, these projects and putting them in some kind of order that doesn't depend upon emails and doesn't depend upon you know, finding, uh, just digging people out of nowhere um, to do this kind of work. Um, so I sat down and I started uh, sketching wireframes to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, I brought on a developer to pull together just a kind of a front-end design. By the way, terrible way to proceed. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you, you know, it, it took me some years to understand that you build uh, these kinds of projects from the back end forward, 
not from the uh, from the front end back. As as but, a for, uh, as a former web web developer, I can say yes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, idiot, that's right. <laughs> no, no, uh, not idiot. It's it's one of those things that you no, have to, you have to go through. You really do have to go through it, uh, or at least I, I had to go through it. Um, but in any case, uh, went through a few iterations and um, realized that. Um, for the moment, because I had other fish to fry with uh, the, the the various software we were developing for the Paymaster Company, for the moment, really what I was interested in doing is creating a way for narrators to get all of their information up in one place so that they could represent themselves to producers in a way that's useful mm-hmm. uh, for both sides. I mean, you know, it's... You know, you, you, you have two sides here, um, and uh, each side has its own interests and its own anxieties. You know, publishers want one set of things, and on the other side, you have the narrators who have, you know, rather different needs. So what um, I, I, uh, I, I built the, 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 the profile of the software probably the better part of two and a half, three years ago, um, used it for one event and uh, just put it on the side because I, I realized that there was, there was a lot of work that we'd have to put into the product to make it uh, really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Michelle Cobb called me up earlier in the year and said, hey, you know, you talked to me about Ergo at one point and about how it might be used for a speed dating event. I said, yeah. And uh, we talked about it further. And uh, she basically, uh, you know, I I gave her the kinds of details that you described before. You know, everything can be in one place. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have like a Dropbox over here and emails over here and a spreadsheet over here. And, uh, you know, trying to integrate all of these different uh, disparate parts. Have it all in one place. We'll set it up. We'll create a uh, a way in which for judges to make their votes. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll figure out uh, how to do X, Y, and Z moves, and it'll be a, a way to kind of push me and my people to make the project more useful. So that's what we've been doing. We're using this APA speed dating bet to... Uh, to look at the stability of the platform, to uh, see what it is that people want, to see what uh, that, and, and once again, the two-sided value proposition there from the publisher side, but largely from the the, the, the talent side, because there's so many people out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me ask you, what are you looking for from, from a site like that? You know, I'd, I'd have to go back on the site to refresh my memory, but as I recall, I thought at the time, this is pretty complete. This has a lot of stuff. This has all of my personal information. It's got a place where I can upload samples. Um, I will say that on several of the other platforms, um, the the um, 
entity-specific platforms like ACX and Findaway and Ahab, I think that they generally allow more than four samples. And it seems to me that right now there's a limit on Ergo, but I, I may be misremembering that. In any case, um, a place to put samples. I actually, I actually don't think that that is uh, necessarily true. We do have, um, you know, single file limits, but... Um, which maybe, is to say, maybe it's not. They're, they're, I, I, I could be misremembering that. Like I said, it, this was uh, a month or two ago that I signed up for the event, and so, um, so, but, but I thought that it was good. You, you want to get your personal information in there. You want some description where you can say, "This is what I do," and you want a way to show what you do as well via the samples. And so, it uh, seems to me, uh, without having looked at it in the past few days, it, it seems to me that it, uh, it was fairly complete there. Well, that's good, and, and the thing is that what you know what what we also have there is, you know, uh, a prototypical uh, blogging software because we're interested in. Suppose somebody wants to use their kind of social media presence to draw attention to themselves in this. Let's call it uh, a growing community hub, a hub for the uh, for the audiobook industry. Mm -hmm. You know, to to allow them to publish a piece that people comment upon, to uh, link to their uh, Facebook page, to their Twitter account, et cetera. Um, to see how that kind of traffic works on the site and to see if it adds up to anything for the talent. Mm -hmm. Does it make the talent more popular as a, uh, an audiobook reader? Does it gain more audience for the, um, for the, the, the projects that they work on? These are all things that we want to kind of capture in, in the uh, platform so that it's useful for everyone. Uh, for the publishers, that's great information. Or let's put it this way, it's information that they can, uh, they can make use of with their own data. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, we're, I, these are things that I think that uh, I'm certainly curious about. Uh, the the impact of uh, social media marketing on um, the individual value of the narrative. Is there an impact? Yeah. Maybe yes, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds like you are still in the process of putting a tool together and that this is sort of the, um, the live beta test for the uh, speed dating thing. And uh, I hope it goes really well. I, I hope that this is something that will be useful to a lot of different publishers who maybe don't want to spend the time of creating their own proprietary tool that, um, that people can use and instead rely on sort of a, a central repository. Well, I, I would think that as, as this, Rich, less as a central repository than um, a tool that's open to the entire internet that um, it's not closed. I wonder about, about the proprietary nature of, of some of these um, products, uh, simply because, you know, is that what the narrator wants? Is the, does the narrator want something that's simply affiliated with um, one publisher, one studio, one producer? Maybe, maybe, um, but it's, it seems to me that there's more value there when things are open. Yeah. Particularly yeah. with the, as we as we develop it with search engine optimization, where which would allow people to, you know, to show up in, in, in searches in uh, 
in ways that are definitely, definitely more uh, valuable to, to them than, than sitting really in the dark closet of somebody's proprietary system. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's that's what I mean by a, a central place where you have this information that that any different entity can use. Um, so I, I think it's great. I, I look forward to seeing how it all plays out, and uh, and I hope it works out really well. Well, thank you very much. I uh, I will take your uh, your good wishes and uh, apply them to our hard work. Yeah, no, it, I I think so far um, I I like I said it, it's been at least a month, maybe two, since I signed up for that event. Um, but uh, oh, it's totally different. It's totally different. Yeah, <laughs> there've been all kinds of software updates. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. No, 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 that's great. That's great. So um, so that's good. So John, where can people find you if they want to find you online? Um, well, they can find, you know, find me these days at, at support at ergo.us. It'll okay. come to, it'll, it'll come to me through that. Um, my production, my production business is, uh, you know, that's well known to publishers. Um, I'm known in the, uh, uh, through the APA. People will never have difficulty getting in touch with John McElroy. That's good. So uh, I know that a lot of people that listen to this podcast are members of the APA. And if you're not, you should be. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that they have uh, contacts there that they can go to. Uh, you... Well, even if, even if you're not a member and it's a, it's a great organization, you, you, you know, I, I think you would do well to join. Yeah, uh, I agree. Sign up at rigo.us and give us a sense of uh, what, what you'd like to see um, and whether there are you know, whether it's, uh, you know, giving you a, a, a better sense of yourself within the industry. Um, that's good. I'll, I'll actually take you up on that. I'm, I'm going to go back through since we we just had this discussion. I'll go back through and I will refresh my memory on the process that I went through to put all the stuff in and see if there's anything that I can come up with that I was thinking at the time. Oh, it would be nice if they had this or that. Uh, so I'll, I'll go through it again and, and check that. Rich, all I can say to you, uh, and you know this as uh, a former uh, developer yourself, anytime somebody comes to you with that uh, that kind of a generous offer, you take them up on it. So I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing if you're uh, you know just just getting your notes. Cool. Yeah, I, I'll definitely do that. Uh, what about social media? You participate on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram? Uh, well, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, Ergo has accounts on all of those platforms. Okay. Um, so, you know, check, check that out. Um, we're, uh, we're mostly to be found on Twitter these days. Um, and the, uh, in the, the lead up to the event, we'll probably be, uh, tweeting more and more. So. Okay. I will definitely include that in the show notes for the episode. All right, man. John, thank you so much. This was great. I'm so glad you could uh, you could come in. I hope the Pilsner was good. I got to say, I just finished the uh, finished the Barracuda, and while I won't say it's my favorite drink, it's got a it's got a certain something because of that pineapple juice. It's very tropical. So I think that anytime I'm going to be in the mood to pretend like I'm lying in a hammock on a lanai on one of the Hawaiian islands, I think that's that's going to be my go-to drink. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's great. You know, I, I've talked so much that I've been unable to drink what was once a very cold beer. Um, <laughs> I would say 15 minutes in the freezer and you'll be fine. Okay. Well, you know, there's, <laughs> uh, there's, there's always hope. As, there uh, as there is. Kafka, that... said, 
Kafka said, uh, there's always, there's hope, but not for us, us, and not for that beer. <laughs> Definitely not for that beer. Uh, I will say that that is not uncommon here in the speakeasy. In fact, I think it was Julia who said, you know what, I just, I haven't had a chance to drink. So uh, <laughs> it happens. And, I, and I'm sorry to keep you talking so long, but everybody will be happy to hear what you had to say. A real pleasure, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, John. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to John McElroy for stopping in. I'm glad I found him and learned about Elgin when I registered for the APA's online speed dating event, and I hope you enjoyed getting to know him. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!